0: This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to speak to you this morning on something that I've titled, He Touched Me and Everything Changed. Yeah. He touched me and everything changed. Nothing happens in our Christianity without the intervention and the, the influence of the Holy Spirit. We're a church that believes in the miraculous. We're a church that believes in the supernatural. We're a church that believes in God's influence in every situation. And outside of that, we don't get to realize the fullness um, of what he has to offer. I'm excited about today because I want to have a special ministry session at the end of today for people who want their lives to change. So listen up because this might be you. And it's a wonderful thing. you know what the wonderful thing is about life in God? Is every time we recognize an error that he can touch, you should be over the moon about it. Because he can do some stuff in your life where he can evidence himself and you'll never be the same. Okay, I want to read from Galatians chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to start reading from verse 16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. I'm going to jump down to verse 24. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. What's interesting for me about that is this. God is talking to us about two important principles about our Christian life. We need to live in the Spirit and we need to walk in the Spirit. And so it's important for us to understand the, the value of each one of those things. We're to live in the Spirit because He's going to do something in your life and His very life is going to come and live on the inside of you. But we're to walk in the Spirit as well. So there is a second dimension to it we talk about a lot of these terms and really what I want to do today is I'd like to begin to explore them a little bit more detail so that we can have a look at them and understand exactly what he means by that. What's exciting about a walk with God is that he takes responsibility for everything. What he's doing is he's always extending an invitation and looking for us to participate. But he really does everything. Hmm. Hold on, let me get rid of all of these little things all over the place because I don't know what's spotting here. Where's Alicia? I know she was here earlier. She's taken flight. Okay. I want to speak to you about air travel. Air travel changed the world. Air travel was an incredible thing. Because before, people, all they could ever do was people were stuck because they had to go around on land. And if you really wanted to go somewhere else that was far away, you had to jump on a ship. And you better make sure that you have a lot of leave available to you because you would have used up your two weeks just getting to where you were going before you even had your vacation and had to come back. Air travel changed everything. All of a sudden, what it did is it made the globe so much more accessible to everybody. What happened with air travel is that it comes with promises. Air travel comes with promises. It promises that if you will participate in air travel, it'll expand your life. It'll introduce you to new experiences and cultures that you've never known before. It promises you the opportunity to walk down cobbled streets in a place called Rome that was built 2,000 years ago. Or if you want, you can go and walk amongst the pyramids and the sphinxes and find out about cultures that lived a long, long time ago and how they lived and what they did and how they erected structures that to this day, nobody still is really sure how they did it. You can get onto the Great Wall of China. You can walk through markets in Vietnam. You can get into Europe and go into the sophisticated tea areas and drink something because it's a culture that's different. It's people that are different. It's environments that are different. And the promise that it makes to you is that when you participate in air travel, your life will be bigger and more robust. It'll expose you to more. You'll be a person who views life from a more holistic perspective because I've been exposed to more stuff. Air travel is great. Air travel comes with wonderful promises. The problem is, I'm afraid of flying. And so I find myself in this strange dilemma because air travel was presented to us. It was something that was an innovation that would change the world. And it's changed the lives of millions of people. It's come with promises that has introduced so much into the lives of so many. The problem is, I'm afraid of flying. And because I'm afraid of flying, I'm going to pass on the promises. And so I never reap the benefits. I'm using a simple example because what it does is it underscores and it begins to reveal to us a very fundamental truth about life. The importance and the relationship that exists between my head and my heart and why both of those spaces are important but they play slightly different roles. Your head is important because you didn't know that air travel existed until you found out about it. Your head is important because you read the brochure about what could happen if you ended up going to Italy or to Rome or to Venice or to China or to Egypt or to anywhere else. You discovered all of these things. Your head is important because it gives you information about opportunities that exist and extends to you an invitation to participate in those things. But your head is not all that's important. Your heart is important. Because your heart gives you the opportunity to either engage and participate in the promise and realize the benefit, or you're going to turn away from it. Our heart is not where your information is kept. Your information is in your head. But your heart is where your beliefs are. Your beliefs are powerful. Your beliefs are powerful because your beliefs are going to take you to a place where you understand what's available to you. You'll recognize the invitation that's been extended to you, but your heart decides whether you're going to participate or not. You will get to the airport, but if you're afraid of flying, you're never going to get on that plane. Thanks for the invitation. Thanks for the promises. But I'm passing. I'm passing. Our beliefs are important. Our beliefs are fundamental. Because you want to know the why you feel the way you do? It's because of what you believe. It's because of the substance that's being developed on the inside of your heart. It's because of the stuff that's living inside here that's informing who you are all of the time. It's not because of your knowledge. It's because of your beliefs. Your beliefs are important. If you want to know why you feel, have a look at your heart. But it's not just because of the way that I feel. Your beliefs are your fountain of life. Your beliefs direct your paths. What it's saying is, it's not only because of the way that I feel. I know that I'm afraid of flying. It's my feeling. But as a result of that, I'm going to make some decisions. I'm not getting on the plane. Your will is directed by your heart, not your head. I know what can happen if I get on the plane. I know the benefits. I understand where I could go. I understand all of that stuff. But my will is linked to my beliefs. And if my belief and my head are not in union, what ends up happening is I'm going to go with my heart, not my head. Our beliefs are powerful. You want to know why you behave the way you did? It's not because of what you know. It's because of what's in here. It's because of the substance that defines our heart. Our beliefs are important because our beliefs drive our life. Your beliefs drive your life. I am not getting on the plane. I am afraid. There are people who are caught in addictions. And you can tell them everything that you want to tell them about why it's bad, why it's killing them, why... There is no benefit to this. And they will agree with everything that you tell them. They know it all. But they cannot get out of it. Because addiction is not of the head. Addiction is of the heart. Yeah. There's no point talking to them. Because you're talking to the toolbox. You're talking to what's happening up here. But it's of the heart. It'll drive your life. The reason so many men are comfortable in the negative area of emotions as opposed to the positive is because they're just more comfortable in that area. It's a space that, that seems to be more manly. So what ends up happening is when something happens that I don't like, how do I respond? Out of anger. What ends up happening? My response never came out of my head. It came out of my heart. I didn't mean to respond that way. I'm so sorry that I did. I'm so sorry that I hurt you. I'm so sorry I responded as forcefully as I did and I said some things I shouldn't have done. But why did you do it? Because you touched something in my heart, not in my head. It drives your life. And we live with remorse because it's not what I want and I see the repercussions, but I can't help myself. Do you realize what happened? What happened? So lots of people make excuses. It's not me. It's the circumstances. Your beliefs will drive your life. Your beliefs will define your life. Your beliefs are going to determine what choices you make. Yes, I'm going to do this. Yes, I'm going to partner with that. Yes, I want to get involved in this. Your head is not nearly as important as your heart and decision making you want to look at it look at dysfunctional relationships people who want to get married and you sit down with them and you say I'll tell you what I want you to do do me a favor make me a list all the great things about this person all the good things and a list here of all the negatives he's handsome and that's about it for this column But this one is really long. But you know what ends up happening? I'll marry him. Why? Because I love him. What are you saying? It drives my life. It's not my head that drives it. It's what I believe in my heart. And there is something on the inside of me that connected with who you were. And the thing is I go with what I feel, not with what I think. It looks like a disaster on paper, but there's no point talking about that because the problem with it is my heart is engaged. Our beliefs are important because it starts to give definition to who we are and how we view ourselves. I think I'm a victim. The world is against me. People are cruel. My life is tough. I don't like who I am. I feel dirty. I feel unworthy. But you've got great accolades in your life. You've got great accomplishments. You've done incredible things. But you don't know how I feel about myself. Because it's not about your head, it's about what's in your heart, your beliefs are either going to empower or disempower your relationship with God. You see, God uses our head and our heart. The reason that he gave us the word is because he wants you to know everything that you can about who he is. He wants you to understand him. He wants you to expose to every blessing that's available to you. He wants for you to understand it. Why? Because when you understand it, he will use your understanding to extend an invitation to you. Do you want to participate in it? Do you want to participate in that? What he's doing is, he's making a demand on my will. Something that relates to my belief. What he's saying is, can you partner with the invitation? And if I'm at a place where I trust him, him and I will go places and do some stuff I could never do on my own. The problem is, if I can't trust him, I know what your word says. I understand what the invitation is all about. But I can't go there. Because my heart is not in that place. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read this out of the Passion. Most of these are out of the Passion, so just jot them down. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness. Actually, what the true Greek representation of that is, is a life of godliness. Everything we could ever need for a life of godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. Let me just stop there for a second. We serve a God who is wonderful. We serve a God who participates in the supernatural. And if you participate with God, you better expect the miraculous. God is not going to fit our box and conform to our way of doing things. If you participate in God, expect to move into a place where the supernatural is going to manifest itself. Expect to move into a realm where the miraculous is the ordinary. Why? Because it defines his culture. It defines his economy. It's who he is. If you want to participate in God's economy, you need to realize that that needs to become part of our everyday life. Everybody who's met with God and has allowed Him to touch their life has experienced a miracle. You are a walking miracle. You could not change who you were. You could not change where you came from. But the thing about it is, when you ran into him, he extended an invitation to you and he said, Come, and what, what I will do is I'm going to do the miraculous in your life. I will get rid of everything, wipe it away, because what I want to do is introduce my nature to you. He put a part of who he is into who you are. That's how much he loves you. Yeah. He trusts you with himself. I put it inside of you. We live in the Spirit, but we also walk in the Spirit. As a result of this, He has given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price, so that through the power of these tremendous promises, we can experience partnership with the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires. That are of the world. What he's saying is this. I don't only want you to live in the spirit. I want you to live by the spirit. I don't only want to put my nature inside of you. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you promises promises and if you will take the invitation and you will participate in that promise it'll walk you into living out my nature participating in my nature what are his promises you are above only and not beneath i will bless you in the storehouse and in the basket you are healed and you are whole you are a new creation in christ I've been saved from the kingdom of darkness and I've been placed in the kingdom of light. All things have passed away and all things have become brand new. I am more than a conqueror in Christ. He wants you to know it. Because what he's going to say is when you know it, it's a promise. It's a wonderful promise. And promises come with invitations. I know what situation and circumstance you find yourself in today. I know what's going on in your life more than perhaps you even realize what's happening in that circumstance and situation. And the opportunities that I'm affording you and the invitation that I'm extending to you is, do you want to be more than a conqueror in it? The invitation is there. The benefit exists. He's waiting for your heart to sit and say, I'll link with it and do something. The promises walk us into an encounter with it. If you want to experience God we need to be at a place where our heart can partner with him and we can do some stuff your feelings are the instrument panel of your life your feelings are the instrument panel of your life you know your car has got an instrument panel and so with you driving along and you The thing is, you you don't have to live with your finger on the pulse all the time. Is my car okay? Isn't it okay? Do I need to do something? Shouldn't I do something? We, We are Christians, we do this sometimes. Just live. Just live. You have an instrument panel, okay? Your instrument panel will tell you if there's an issue. By the way, Gavin, your left rear tire needs a bit of air. P.S., you're about to run in out of fuel. You have 60 miles left. I would suggest that you probably fill up. Oh, by the way, it's time for your oil change. Oh, Gavin, I just need to let you know there's a little hiccup in the engine. It needs to be serviced. Your instrument panel speaks to you. It tells you what's happening in your vehicle. And what it's looking for you, it's looking for you to respond to that so that you don't end up with a blowout on the side of the road. So that you don't end up with the engine seizing up. Our emotions are the instrument panel of our life. Don't as Christians live with your finger on the pulse all the time. It's like, am I? should I do this, should I do Just live. Okay, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you some stuff. Because what's going to happen is, when he extends an invitation to you and says, do you want to participate in what it means to be more than a conqueror in this situation? You're going to have to make a decision. And what comes out of you is either going to engage with him, or it's going to sit and say, "Ah, no. What's happened? The instrument panel just went off. It said there's something happening in your heart because what's happening in here, what's established in your belief can't link with the invitation. It's giving you a warning. The instrument panel of our life is important. Listen to your emotions. If you fly off the handle at your kids and you carry on like a lunatic and then fathers sit and say, I'm so sorry that I did. The reason is it's it's your instrument panel talking to you. It's saying to you, something's happening in there. More than you realize. You don't have to live with your finger on the pulse. Your instrument panel will talk to you. It's telling you that there's something established in the heart. There is something that's taken root. There is a substance that's giving definition in the situation. Most Christians don't need more knowledge or understanding of Scripture. Most Christians don't need more of an induction into doctrine. Most Christians don't need more teaching. Most Christians need to move to a place where we have a heart reality of truth. Most Christians are at a place where the challenge to our life is the substance that's defining my heart doesn't put me in a place where I'm living from compassion or I trust provision safety security confidence These are issues of the heart. It's not that we struggle so much with truth in our head. Most Christians can tell you that. It's because we don't have the truth established in our heart. And so, what ends up happening is we're at a place where we're not able to take who we are and marry it with God is do- with what God is doing. I know what. Air travel can do for me. I know the benefits and I understand the invitation. It's my head. But the truth of that is not established in my heart. And so what ends up happening is my heart and my head are at disparate places. The challenge that we have very often as Christians is that we know what God wants us to do, but we don't feel it. We know what God's invitation is, but I don't have the confidence. I know what God is inviting me into, but I don't have the trust to be able to walk with him and go that journey with him. It speaks about us being a double-minded person. Double-minded because I have thoughts and ideas, I have knowledge and information that lives out here that is incongruent with the beliefs that are established in my heart. James 1 eight says it makes for an unstable person. Do you know what instability really means in the original Greek? It means a person without a foundation. It's a person who has no solid foundation. Because I have no foundation, it puts me in a precarious place. Living as an unstable person is not a nice place to be. Because the problem with a person who's unstable is, I know what I should be doing, but I can't do it. I know what I shouldn't be doing, but I can't let go of it. And they live in this place of inner turmoil. Our heart will always trump our head. That's why our heart becomes so important. In Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about this and he speaks about the dilemma that he has because he recognizes the fact that there is such a thing as the appetites of my flesh and the desires of my my will and who I am. And what he's saying is, I know the things that I should be doing. I know what it is that I should be doing. He was an educated man. He would put all of us to shame. All combined, I mean. Not even individually. Individually. He was educated. He knew everything. It's probably a good thing if you write two-thirds of the New Testament. He knew it. But he said, I'm stuck in this grapple because I know this stuff. But there's a power within me. And the things that I should be doing, I I struggle to do. And the things that I shouldn't be doing, I cannot tell you how much I want to do those things. Why? Why? He's talking about the battle between the head and the head. And my heart. We can sit in Bible studies all we want. And we can recite what the Bible says. And we can recite what God's intention is. And we can recite what the word says. And what the word is all about. And there's nothing wrong with all of those things. But I can tell you now. When the realities of life strike. You're going to discover what's in your heart. And your behaviors are going to follow. It's when the realities of life hit and you're outside of a confined, happy context that you're going to discover what's on the inside of me. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26 says, My son, give me your heart and your eyes will behold my ways. What he's saying is, you want to see me in your life? Give me your heart. Give me your heart and you will see who I am. Good grief. Everybody's excited today. We have, people are calling us left, right, and center. I'm with you. What did Jesus say was the most important commandment? Matthew 22, verse 37. I'm going to read it out of the message again. I'm becoming very, very expected. That's never a good thing. Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus says the greatest and most important commandment was love. Actually, another word that can be used in place of that is worship. Worship the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, and with every thought that is within you. In other words, your mind. What he's saying is, why did he say? He could have said anything is the most important. He didn't. He goes right to the center of our lives. And he says, the center of your being. I want that. I want my love to be defined in that space. Why? Because he knew. If he has your spirit, his life is on the inside of you. But if you want to participate in his nature, he's got to have your heart. He's got to have your heart. That's why our Church experience should be different. Because when you come to church, if you're simply coming to gain knowledge, all you're doing is tickling your head. The problem with it is you're going to walk out of here and encounter life. And what's on the inside of you is going to come out. God's not only interested in you knowing the word, But he wants the word to be made alive on the inside of you. That's what revelation is all about. Just a shocker. (laughs) If you don't believe in the supernatural, you're never going to taste it. Because you can't get it. Unless the Holy Spirit does it in your life, you're never going to participate in it. He is the only one who can take the things of the kingdom and get them established in your life. He is the only one who can take truth and open truth up and through revelation get it established on the inside of who we are. The substance that he puts on the inside of us is of him. What is it? Something we call faith. What is faith? It's the substance that keeps my life steady, that keeps me straight. It's a foundation that keeps me at a place that I don't wobble left and right. It's a foundation that I'm able to live from, that begins to inform the way that I feel, that begins to redefine the way that I believe, that's starting to have influence over the decisions that I make and the behaviors that I gauge in. And all of a sudden I find myself living from a place of confidence so that when God says, Hey, do you want to do this? I go, yes, God, I'm right with you. He knows that unless your head and your heart can come into one, he can't get you to that place. Give me your heart. Give me your heart. I need a few more minutes. Your heart cannot hold conflicting beliefs in it. You can have a conflicting belief between your head and your heart. I can believe up here that God really loves me. Because I read the Bible. It told me. I know it. The problem with it is I can have a heart belief that says, you know what? I understand everything that God has done for me. But I cannot tell you how unworthy I feel. And I cannot believe that God could love me. What's happened? I've got separate heart beliefs in my head and in my heart. I can carry both of those. It's not right, but you can carry both. The problem with it is you cannot, in your heart, carry a belief that God loves me and at the same time he hates me. You can only carry one belief in your heart. There is only one throne in the kingdom. And whoever sits on that throne is given the prerogative. To be able to have power and influence over that circumstance in your life. When it comes to air travel in my life, there's a throne. And I cannot have more than one king it sits on the throne. Now, this is what's important. Your heart belongs to you. God gave you your heart to steward. Take care of your heart. Guard it with all due diligence. What God is saying is you don't realize it, but you've only got one throne. Manage that space. Steward it well. This is what's important. Your heart is yours. But when you give it away, you give it away. And you no longer have the right to lay claim to it. We wonder why we struggle with things. Because the problem with it is, before we came into a place where we had relationship with him, we we had exposure to the world. And a whole bunch of stuff came in. And what happened is, I've got... King's living on different thrones. And so when I get to the airport, I want to go and do some stuff, but what's sitting on the throne is fear. And you know what? I can't get him off. Try. If you're fearful about something, try and get over it. If you're anxious about something, you try and tell yourself, I'm not going to be anxious or nervous. Try. I can't take it back all of a sudden I realize that I let go of something and I handed it over and I don't have the authority and the power to gain it back. You know what? You look your friends. They love you and they'll tell you a whole bunch of stuff and a whole bunch of it might be right. The problem with it is they don't have the power and influence to come into that space called your heart and change what's sitting on the throne. You can go to psychologists, you can go to psychiatrists, and they can give you tools to manage what's sitting on the throne. But they cannot, cannot get that ruler off the throne. cannot get the ruler off the throne. If you have a look at Romans chapter 5. Verse 17, it says, For by one man's offense, death reigned. It's talking about Adam. It's talking spiritually. I get what it's talking about. I want you to get the principle of reigning. Through the one. Much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift, the gift of righteousness will reign in life. What he's saying is this. The principle we have to understand is this. If you want to walk into freedom, God makes all things new. What He's telling us is this Death reigned, death reigned spiritually. And what ended up happening is Jesus came and paid the price so that all of a sudden God's nature could come in and say, out with the old, in with the new. Out with the death, I'm taking it off the throne and I'm putting my nature on the inside of you. Life. I live by life. I live by the Spirit, but begin to walk by the Spirit. What is he saying? The same principle applies to our life. The things in our heart, the challenge with it is you can't take fear and try and make it a little bit better. You can't improve on fear. What it's saying is something has to get out. Fear has to get out and replaced by something new. You can't fix it. You can't modify it. You can't improve it. You've got to get rid of it. And you can't do it. Only Christ can do it. You know why? Because when he suffered and died, when he rose from the dead, he conquered sin and death and reigns victoriously. So when you invite Christ into that situation, the Holy Spirit arrives with power. And authority. And the Holy Spirit says, I got an invitation for you. I got a promise. It's called grace. I got a promise. It's called righteousness. If you'll grab a hold of that, I have the power and the authority to take what's sitting on the throne and to pull it off and to replace it with something of me. He is the only one who has the authority to change what's in our heart. Our life with God needs to be a miraculous experience on an ongoing basis. And it starts with me. It starts in my spirit. And it starts to move outwards, making old things new. He's changing my heart. He's doing some stuff. You know what he's beginning to speak to us about and introduce us to? Kingdom. Unless a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. He's not talking about spirit at that point. He's talking about your heart. Wow. What he's saying is, unless you allow the Holy Spirit to come in and make that new, you'll never realize the kingdom and walk in kingdom principles and kingdom life. Come on. Amen. Where did Jesus say the kingdom was? Within you. Where is he talking about? Your heart. He's not talking about your head. The Pharisees had plenty of kingdom up here. The kingdom's not up there. The kingdom is here. What he's saying is, any place in your life where the reign and rule of Christ comes in will change stuff. Anytime the reign and rule of Christ comes into a particular area and begins to enlarge its territory in my heart, begins to invade that space. Anytime I come to a place where I recognize and suddenly the instrument panel of my life goes off and says, there's something that needs attention here. Don't try and fix it. You can't fix it. You go to the one with authority and power. And you say, I discovered a king. And I need a revolution. I need something to come. I need a coup in my heart. I need something to overthrow what's sitting on the throne. And you're the only one who can do it. Can we please stand? What I want to do today is this. What I've tried to demonstrate to you is the fact that our heart is valuable. Not only in your life, but it's valuable to God. He loves it so very much that he said it's his most important commandment. I want that space. Can I have it? There are going to be things in our life that have been gathered, residue from life. Welcome to living. Everybody has some. But there's some stuff that's sitting on the throne of our life. And the thing about it is, we can't get rid of it. So what we want to do is put ourselves at a place. Where's Alex? Can you play for us? So what we want to do is put ourselves at a place where we sit and say, Holy Spirit, I'm coming and I'm surrendering to you. Holy Spirit, I'm taking the space, the place that you've asked for, and I'm dedicating it and I'm committing it to you. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to come into that space. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to use your influence and your power to bring about a heart revolution, a heart change that introduces me to newness so that I can live... By the Spirit. So that I can walk by the Spirit. So that I not only have His nature inside of me, but I become a partaker of His divine nature. I want to be at a place where every time you extend an invitation to me, I'm ready and I'm rearing to go. If you're that person out there and you want God to touch you, I want to invite you to the front. Because I want people to pray with you. This is not something that's going to come about as a result of anybody else's influence. This is directly as a result of what the Holy Spirit can do in your life. Expect the supernatural. Expect Him to move. Expect to encounter His love and for that to overshadow you. There are people stuck in grief. There are people stuck in depression. There are people stuck in bad habits. The people stuck in places where I'm finding it hard to let go of dispositions and let God do what he wants to do. If that's you out there, don't miss out on an opportunity. I want to encourage you right now. Come up and let people pray for you. For everybody else, Father, I just want to thank you your incredible work and your incredible power. I thank you that you just love us so much that you're looking for opportunities to invade our everyday life. I pray, Holy Spirit, that through this week we'll be sensitive to our instrument panel. Let us be at a place where we recognize what's happening on the inside of us and be quick to move to a place where we allow you to have influence in that space, Holy Spirit. Father, I want to thank you for people who participate in encounter, people who live the God life. I bless you for it in Jesus' name.